Hello, everyone. I am Brennan Sahajan, and I tend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met. And I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my bar. My guest on today's podcast is an incredibly passionate Scotsman and now American. He is a professor at Eastern Washington University in the College of Communication, a lifelong sojourner of truth, taking yearly trips to Moab, Utah to recenter himself and constantly questioning the status quo. Though sometimes a little difficult to understand clearly, please enjoy this great conversation with Peter Shields. All right, we are live. Okay. We're recording. All right, so first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you doing this. I know that time is important. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Well, right on. I appreciate it. Um, And let's just get right into it. Okay. And the first question really could could last the whole thing, but um, depends on how you answer it. And I know you looked over the questions. The first one is deep. All of them really are, I guess. Uh But who are you? Who am I? Well, that's changed over time, right? Yeah, hope so. What I was when I was like 14, 15 is totally different from now. Um, I think probably last year is totally different from now. Yeah, that's true. Yes, you're right. I mean, yeah. The context in which you you live changes who you are. Sure. So I I guess I I was... uh, I was this rabid Catholic when I was a young guy, you know, getting there totally into the whole idea. I was an altar boy, my mum thought I was gay, so she wants me to be in the priesthood, because, you know, she's got three boys and, you know, one's got to go. And I wasn't gay, but uh, I, I never <laughs> brought... has got to go. I, I never brought uh, any girls home. In fact, I was really weird about that, you know, like I'd always, if I was dating someone, I'd always go in the opposite direction, so they didn't know where I was living if I got on the bus. Mm-hmm. But my mum thought that, and so and I, I was really into that idea for a while, and then I got, I caught socialism, and that sort of knocked me out of the whole, the Catholic thing, went to college, uh, and became this person who wanted to change the world, wanted to revolutionise the world. I had the opportunities to go to a couple of different universities, and I went to the smaller one because the guy who ran the university was the head of the Scottish Communist Party. Oh. And I wanted to study with him, and so it was great because it was during the Thatcher years, and, ah. we, and we were so into resistance and revolution, and mm-hmm. um, it was totally. Is it common in Scotland for young boys to be Catholic altar boys? Is it like a in the, 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 the Catholic yes in the Catholic part in the eighties for sure. So in the Catholic part. So there's different areas of Scotland that have different religious yeah. leanings. Well, there's a Catholic Protestant division that's all almost oh. like Northern Ireland. Oh, so, there, so there's a lot of tension back then. So I went to, which is very strange for the US, I went to a state-funded Catholic school. So it wasn't private. And um, there was the non-denominational, it was the Protestant school. But there was a lot of tension between us, very like the Northern Ireland situation. Wow. Because all the Catholics who ended up over in Glasgow, the people who actually came from Ireland and he'd went through the potato farming and all these other kinds of things. Yeah. And uh, every summer I went back to Ireland and it was kind of, 
you know, read the screen forces idea that, you know, Ireland should be united and all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I grew up in that. And so it was kind of like Catholic, but Republican. Yeah. Uh, very anti-unionist, very anti-the Queen. Catholic, but Republican. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's not, I mean, you want, uni- you want the United Ireland to be a republic, right? Right. You want to kick out any semblance of the Queen's influence. Sure. And that's something that... But Republican in Scotland is significantly different than Republican in the United States, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, yeah. So, <clears throat> so when I was growing up, you know, Glasgow was half and half. Mm-hmm. You've got the Catholics and the Protestants. and Still that way a wee bit, but it's gotten so much better. But if you put people in different schools, you know what's going to happen. So the Catholic school I went to back then, um, we actually had to stagger our lunch hour. So we used to have the same lunch hour as the Protestant school. Hmm. We'd get into it, and so to stop that kind of nonsense, uh, they staggered it by about an hour and a half, so there wasn't this tension. And it played itself out through soccer and other kind of Did things. you actually care at all, or was it just like, we're these guys and you are those well, guys, and we're supposed to not like each other? Uh, I, I, I cared because of the history. Yeah? You know, because my, my, uh, my family all go back to Ireland, and they experienced, the, you know, the potato farming. Sure. Killed, you know, one, two million Irish. So yeah. that stuff you don't let go of it, and you're taught by your family not to let go of that. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a part of me, still is a part of me. If, even today, if I see certain images, and this is like, you know, 30, 40 years later, I see certain images from over there, it just makes my blood boil. I mean, it's just, so part of who I am is that which will, which will never leave me. Yeah. But the other part of it is I was very fervent about trying to bring about social change because it was left-wing. Yeah. I wanted a better system in the UK. When I got my degree over there, I wanted to get into like development and third world change and sure. all that stuff. Oh yeah, I and, and, uh, and it didn't happen. I ended up, you know, I was unemployed uh, for a number of years under Thatcher. There was, I think it was about 19, 79, 1980, there was 33% unemployment rate in Glasgow. It's Holy just imagine that. One in three people coming to university couldn't get anything. So I was looking at anything, like, my God, I was going to go to a kibbutz, all this kind of stuff. And then Vicky arrives on the scene, changed my life. She and showed up in Scotland. She did, because she, she, her sister was marrying my brother. Oh, so it's did two, not realise that. Yeah, two brothers, two sisters. It was such a serendipitous thing, if you think about it, right? Sure. Uh, yeah, my brother ran into this, you know, this American at a <coughs> bar. Uh, it was our last night there. And uh, they got in great. And she says, come on over sometime. So he was over there like, within three or four months, visiting her in Idaho. Got in great. They came back, decided to marry in Glasgow. And the family came over and I met the sister. So, this, so I'm this like, kind of like unemployed, social science, comic kind of type. And uh, demonstrating against, like, you know, American missile bases in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And here's this woman who shows up, and she's like a, you know, a rodeo queen who was a DJ at the Red Line. She was all, she was everything. Could you imagine how different that is, right? Yeah. And I've got all my, you know, I've got my sort of left wing critique of all that going, and it all just went to shit. <laughs> she was just got fantastic. So within the week, we were like, that was it. And uh, wow. Yeah, she left and then she came back. We got married real quick. Didn't tell anybody in Scotland. Couldn't tell anybody my mum and dad because like they're Catholics and the only way we could get like married quick over there was to do it through a civil service. Oh sure, yeah. Otherwise So you went to the courthouse and I went to the courthouse and we only had two witnesses and didn't tell anybody. 
made up this bullshit about how we had a sponsor in the US. We got married July 4, 1985, Independence Day. In Scotland, that means nothing. So yeah. we went to this bar, which was brilliant. It was a bar where the American Navy went. And it was fantastic because they got it. I mean, they so were party. It was like it was great. July. Yeah. It was a great party in, in, in this little part of Glasgow. And that was July 4. And by August 10, I was in the country. Wow. And it was brilliant. So I'm starting to change now. You know, I'm kind of, this is when I'm starting to leave the whole. 84, you said? 85. Oh, 85. Okay. August 85. And so Reagan was still president. He was. That, yeah. was, that was a guy. And uh, came over and. Uh, you know, it, things started to feel different, changed. The class system wasn't the same over here. In fact, there wasn't really the same dynamic. It was more race-based than class over here. Yeah. Uh, I arrived August 10. And you were in northern Idaho? I was in southern Idaho. I was in Nampa. Oh, Idaho. Nampa. So I, I don't have told you. This is my... So I arrived August 10, and uh, I start working for my father-in-law August 12, and he's a roofer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, He's a cheapskate. So um, we're, we're turning this roof off of like Albertsons in Nampa. He didn't give me any instructions how to dress, what to do. I had like fucking, can I say that? Yeah. I had huge holes in my hand after the first day digging and stuff. But the best thing about it was because he was a bit of a cheapskate, all the guys on the roof were day release prisoners. So he'd go to the local penitentiary and get these guys to come out. So the first Americans I knew for like three, four weeks. For convicts. For convicts. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, and they were fantastic. Yeah. I, this is what I learned about chilies. Never had a chili in my life. These guys were feeding me this stuff at lunch, make me sick. They had great stories. You never had a chili in your life? Not until I came to the US. I, there's, okay, I didn't, I didn't, this, this is so, I didn't, this is 85, I didn't know what a pickle was. No kidding. I, so, so when people figured out I think, what a pickle was, they said, well, we're going to take you out and show you the pickle farms, like the growing trees. They were messing around with me all the time. Uh-huh. I didn't know this. I was a real soft touch. and uh, But I was starting to change a lot, you know, starting to, to let go of, of who I was. And the roofing thing, I, what I learned about roofing is that it's the last job in the world you want to do. So Vicky and I... Well, you, were, I you were hot tire roofing probably, right? That's right. Was yeah. All, yeah, we did some cedar shingle stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the bet, okay, the most, yes, you're right. It was all hot tire, which is when you're doing it with like day release prisoners. And by the way, a lot of them were coming and they had contacts that were like planting bottles of vodka and shit by the, the side of Albus's. It got really scary when you're up there doing that. <laughs> but, but, but the most interesting thing was, uh, so that was fine, uh, but... He bid, my father-in-law bid for a job over in a place called Hepner, Oregon. So now we're into the early part of 86. I've been mm-hmm. doing it for a year. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the Cedar Shingle deal. And that was when Chernobyl was going on. Uh-huh. And I remember, my, so I was roofing with my, we ended up on the same roof, because uh, he was working for my father-in-law as well. And I remember we were standing up on top of that roof going like, you know, this shit's going to be coming over here soon. We're on this roof, and this stuff is doing the global you know, yeah. circuit, oh, yeah. and thinking about that, I mean, it was a strange time, and then a month later, uh, Vicky and I got married again, because we hadn't told them we were married the first time, so this is the formal wedding thing, and I had about like 10 people come over from Scotland. So you were working for her dad, and he didn't know that you were his son-in-law? No, he didn't. Oh, jeez. No, we, we kept this such a tight secret. Wow. Uh, well, I've got to tell you how they off, well, I've so, so when they're having this wedding, this is 86, August, um, 
my mum and dad come over, and this is so the whole Chernobyl thing's going on, and it was really interesting. They arrive in Nampa, and the local newspaper hear about these Scots who are coming over for this wedding because this is a tiny town, and they all wanted just to talk to them about Chernobyl. So my mum and dad are telling all this bullshit about sheep dying in, in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I've got, I still got the newspaper. It was great, right? So the thing about, uh, the thing that went weird was, um, so we decided all her friends were there, all my friends were all from Scotland. Why don't we have this joint party before the wedding? So two nights before the wedding, we all got together at this place called Humping Hannah's mm. in, uh, in Boise. And uh, I got so drunk. So what I did... So Imagine all, that. Well, oh, no, no, this is beyond my usual shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it was like... Um, I got really drunk and I, I lost it. Um, so the first thing I did was I said, Vicky, I need tequila. And, but I, don't, I wanted tequila with a worm in it. And she kept going up to the bar and they're like, no. So finally she went up and she said, uh, you've got to get a worm in here. Otherwise, he, he won't shut up all night, right? <laughs> so he got like a wee, she told me this afterwards, he got this little, little knife and took a piece of cucumber and did a squiggly thing. <laughs> and, I'm, and put it in the bottom of the glass, right? And I'm going, yes. So I got on the table, <laughs> all my friend, all her, and I, and I chug it back. And then I say, listen, we married a year ago, which was the worst thing to say, because these people paid all this money to come from Scotland. Yeah. And mum, I don't know why I had to say that, but I did it. But they were having such a wonderful time, they kind of forgave me. <laughs> they, they, were, they were just loving, oh, none of them had been to the US before, they'd been travelling around before they to Nampa. Yeah. And then, uh, that was brilliant. So, yeah, then we got married two days later, and um, we had the worst fight after that. Because uh, I wanted to hang out with my, my friends, and she said, no, no more of that, we've got to go off on our honeymoon. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so we got into this big fight so, so we did that and then uh, a few months later we went to Ohio State because that was our plan to escape oh. and that was changing me all the, I mean like the other thing I should have mentioned was when I was back in Scotland and I'm doing all this stuff I didn't actually finish my entire degree because I got in with all these people who were doing like weird shit you know like so they get drunk a lot and do stupid shit and uh, kind of lost my opportunity there so when I came over here I thought, okay, this time I'm going to be really, really serious. Mm -hmm. And the Ohio State thing was my, my get out. So she was accepted at grad school. I got to do my last quarter there with an economics degree. And that changed everything. I became a very different person. I used to be really social and gregarious with my friends. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Ohio State, I just became so focused. And for about seven years, all I did was get up at four in the morning and study and study and study. I was determined never to let that Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State is like a city in and of itself. Do you, yeah. do you are there big schools like that in Scotland? No, that, that yeah. is, I don't know what it is now, but it was 57,000 then. Yeah. And it was a city, um, it was my second chance, so I was determined not to let it go. So I finished my economics degree, went to graduate school, and I just got my head down, and I did really, really well. And uh, then the idea cropped up, I should be a professor. Mm -hmm. But underlying all of this is still the problem, right, for me is like, it's still the same today, right? I mean, I've done all, I went to Bowling Green as a professor and over here as a professor. It's like, there's something like... Uh, you taught at Bowling Green? Bowling Green State, yeah, oh. south of Toledo. Oh. Uh, that's just, no, that's about two hours north of Ohio State. Yeah. 
And I went there because I wanted to teach. Didn't um, they have like a big riot there or something? Bowling Green? No, no. Well, if you think about the 70s, that was Kent State. Mm, that's not what I was thinking of, but... We, we have, no, we haven't I thought there a, was something really bad that happened in Bowling no, Green, too. No, it's, at least since I've been here, it's pretty mellow. But I went there because I wanted to teach doctoral students. Yeah. And uh, so did that. And uh, Ohio's... It kind of saps stuff out of you. I mean, like, really nice people, good students, but it's so... If you've ever been there, it's the most flat and... The, the only place. time I've been there is I went to Cedar Point. Oh, for the, for the, roller, for the roller coasters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, it's amazing. That's the only time I've been there. That's a pretty great roller coaster park. Oh my that, gosh, it's incredible. But that's about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, in, in Bowling Green, uh, where I lived, the highest point in the county was the artificial hill they built in the uh, golf course. It was Whoa. like, it was not, that's where Standard Oil all started, you know, Finley, Ohio, around that place. Mm -hmm. But um, the joke there was if you saw your dog running away, you see it running away for two days because it's so <laughs> bloody flat. It wasn't, wasn't enjoyable. So we, I mean, you're living in Idaho, right? Yeah. And you end up in a place like Scotland's lovely. So we, but it took us 13 years to figure out a way of getting out there. And Vicky was the route out. She was up. There's, there's a dean down at Easton that died really unexpectedly in 2005. Mm -hmm. They had a really quick search and they loved Vicky. And she says, yeah, but you got to take him, me. And uh, I really wanted out. So that's how we ended up out here. And uh, yeah, it's been great. But all the way along, it's, I'm trying to get back to your question, which is like, you know, who are you? I've changed a lot, but I'm becoming a much less I'm really dissatisfied with what I've become hmm. because I'm much more like in uh, every day and not thinking about the big picture. When I was younger, I was thinking about changing things, making life better. And it seems like, especially since about 2010, I've much, been much more just living life day to day, hmm. being much more wrapped up in my own shit and not thinking about that. And that, that, that disappoints me a lot. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, yeah, it definitely answers the question, and and I mean how you led it led up to the be that person. Um, I actually have a well, I don't even know if this is this is kind of a, off a tangent, but when when you were into Catholicism, were, did you did you know do biblical studies and know any of that, or like how much of the religion did you really embrace? That's what I'm okay. curious about. Just as a side note. Okay, no, so uh, when you're brought up in a Catholic school, mm -hmm. you have periods every day which are called religious instruction. Interestingly enough, we got exposed to the Old Testament very little. Oh. It was all about New Testament. And given that my, my, my dad was sort of aligned with the union movement, and given sort of uh, we, we had this left-wing thing, it's very easy to, to look at Christ's life and read a left-wing thing into it, right? Mm -hmm. So all of it trying to help people change things, not accept the status quo. Sure. So all those things seem to align, but, and I've got to say, a lot of my teachers at Catholic school were the same way. Well, you know, one of the strangest things was, I didn't, when I came over here, I was shocked about how many conservative Catholics there were. I grew up in an, a an area in, in Scotland where all the Catholics were left-wing. Wow. And they were aligned to things like the labor movement. They wanted change now. And over here, it's, it was like, not no, they're yeah. right. So, yes. So we, I got exposed to. Um, we had to do things like read Vatican II, page by page, 
But we always read it through the thing of like changing stuff now. Sure. And so I don't know that. So so that Catholicism, my mum was really into that. Yeah. Night. So that affected did, me a lot. Did you read any of the apocryphal books? No. No kidding. No. <clears throat> it was straight up New Testament, and that was it. We I remember as I remember as once being showed this thing. So we had a priest who was you know at the school, and I, I remember that this this is where I think things start. If you go to Catholic school, you're either going to buy it or you're going to run away from it. Yeah. It, there's no middle ground. It's, it's not been my experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember the thing was, I had a... They showed a movie one day about abortion and what happened to what they considered to be a human being. And I remember afterwards talking with my friends and stuff. Was it the silent screen? It might have been that. Yeah. And it was a schism. Okay. We, all, we all just... Things just changed after that. I think that was one of the most dangerous things they ever did showing that because... Whatever they had going, we just separated after that. I started to move away from from Catholicism in that form. Yeah. But, but you know, if, if you know about Catholics, you never lose. That's why I met that thing I sent the other day, Catholic life. Yeah. That's a term. You can become an atheist and an agnostic, whatever the hell you are, but you're Catholic life because you've still got that shit inside you, right? It's totally. It's at you. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I was, I just watched this bizarre uh documentary today and it was about the book of Enoch and I was just like oh, yeah. so I, it was on my mind yeah. um but that kind of trans transitions into the next question though um with religion and everything um the the second question is what is worth dying for and it, you know is there something worth dying for um do any causes hold enough weight anymore that are worth dying for like what in your life, anyway, what do you think is significant enough that it's worth dying for? That's so interesting. I think probably back in like when I was twenty, it would be for the revolution, right? Sure. Overthrowing like capitalism and Thatcher. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you have that thought, but as you get older, uh, I want so many things to be better, but dying for something. The only thing I would, the, the only thing. I know I'd die for is my kids. Yeah. If, if, if they were in danger and I could somehow stop that, it's a much more immediate thing now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the big cause, no. And I, I'm being totally honest, I wish I could say, I, I was like, you know, you know, shabby. I, I wish I could say something like that, but I, I it's, my concerns move from the macro to the micro. Mm -hmm. I care about I care about all the things that maybe we should be caring about. Sure. But that's a heavy question. What would oh, you die for? Totally heavy question. I and I'm just well, I ask it because I want I want people to right. really think. Right. Well, yeah, but, so the, but the other thing about that is you know when you're young, mm -hmm. the concept of dying is a very romantic notion, right? Because it's so far in the distance. Mm -hmm. As you get older, dying actually means something. It actually means, you know, and it, it's a it's dislocating from the local and your friends and your kids and it's actually quite immediate. It's like running downhill, it's the cliff's there, it's only maybe fifteen minutes away. It's easy to be romantic about all this shit mm -hmm. when you're like, you know, like light years away from it, but sure. you can smell it. That's a very heavy question. So I would say the only thing I can say without a doubt is definitely my kids. I think and that's going to be a common thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my kids. I do it for Vicky as well. Just because of the way I feel about her. Ah. I think, no, there's another thing. 
I say this as if, as if like, I know for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to think that's the thing I would like to say about that. But yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. yeah. But so you also said that you wanted to, you wanted to change the world and oh, do yeah. things in third world countries and stuff, which there are a lot of people that put their lives on, on the line doing that kind of work, Incredible. philanthropy work and right. stuff. And that is like a passion of yours. So if you put yourself in that, in that kind of position, then do you think suddenly your whole worldview is going to change and you're going to, you're going to have this strong ideal and stand up for it to the point of death? I, I, I don't think you can answer that unless you're in it, but you, you're, I, okay. So, um, I am so, I'm actually really bored. Sure. Um, I get that. When you teach, you're supposed to say, oh, it's this wonderful, great thing, you know, such an enervating thing. Well, it is for a while, but I've been doing this for so long and I don't get challenged mm-hmm. anymore. I would love it to change and do something different. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to do, but, you know, I, I mean, I'm older now, but you, you talk about these people who put themselves in the middle of Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know they're, they're out there just trying to actually save people that's a hell of a thing to me I mean I would l- love to think that I could go out there and not have this great idea about dying but this idea that you do the right thing in a certain moment and maybe what end up happening is you pass away because you get hit by this and that sure. that seems like a I would love that's the kind of thing I feel I've missed hmm. that's the thing that's being a professor has been fine and all that stuff, but it, it, I mean, compared to that stuff, to me, it's fairly meaningless. It's interesting to actually meet people like that, too, because yeah. I have. Yeah. Um, I'm, I know a lot of people that have put their lives on the line for the work that they do, yeah. and and they don't, they don't seem any different. Yeah. They don't seem like... It, I mean... I know a guy that uh, that runs this program. Um, it's called the Free Burma Rangers, mm-hmm. and they're they're actually pretty internationally famous. Um, they originally um, were going into and still are, but they were going into Burma because of the genocide that was happening in mm-hmm. Burma and the jungles. They were the right. military was just slaughtering all these tribal people oh, yeah. and landmines and things, and this. And this guy that runs it, I mean, he, he, he would sneak in with like, and he was a, he was an army ranger here in the United States. So that's why he called them the free Burma Rangers. Um, and you definitely had to have those kind of skills in order to get in there, evade, like avoid getting killed by the military and getting these people out of there. Um, and I mean, he did it, he he did it all the time. And, and I mean, you talking about Syria, like that, that is, is the next thing that he's doing now. He's, he himself abandoned uh, Burma, even though he has teams that still go in there. But now he is going into Syria and he's in the thick of it. And I mean, the guy's insane. He's got like little kids and big family and stuff, but he, he abandons it all. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, and to know someone like that, that is almost on the other swing of the pendulum where it's like. Oh yeah, I'll die anytime for anything. Basically, is the, the kind of guy he is. I don't know if it's if it is, because it seems a little bit too extreme. It's like, 
don't you think that you should care about your kids? I mean, right. he was bringing his kids with him into Burma. Right. They were like kindergarten, and he was right. bringing them in. They could like step on a landmine and be blown up. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you, yeah. And I mean, exactly it's right. real interesting. But I think that there's a fine line between being bored and being batshit crazy. You know, right. um, and maybe I shouldn't say that about him because he really is a great guy. But, but, but it, he's kind of crazy. It, it just it just blows my mind. I mean, I don't I can't understand someone who. Just can imagine like well, t- today I'm done. Uh, I don't really recognize fear and risk, mm-hmm. but putting your kids in that area, no, that, yeah, that's and not, bringing that's his not kids along, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Right, right. seem a little reckless, yeah, but with, with their kids and stuff. <laughs> but his kids and him and all of his family, they are like tough. Yeah. They are like hardcore everything yeah. people. So, I mean, there's that weird benefit too. Yeah. That the, these kids learn the hardest way to live, and then they can they appreciate other life right. more. Yeah. So you know it's that's interesting. There's a, a weird, I think there's a I, weird line in between yeah. everything. You know, I, I I think I somewhere along the line I also get sucked into like consumer society. I never give a shit about that when it's going up. And but start, now you're in it. Is that what you're saying? I'm in it. I mean, I do it. I mean, I'm, I'm getting rid of so much stuff right now, and yeah. the whole minimizing stuff has been really, really helpful. Yeah. But living in the US, it's kind of hard, I mean, because you're hit by this everywhere, and you get your comfort from devices and you're telling you know, me. stuff you buy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, this is my seventh year back, and it's weird to, to watch myself change and consume yeah. and get back into the materialism. Yeah. It's real bizarre, because... Yeah. I had nothing when I was living in Thailand. Right. That must have been and really interesting, though. Like, just... Real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So much so that it, you know, ended my marriage. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing. But I, but I'm, I, I totally understand what you're saying by how you feel that you have gotten bored. Because yeah. um, at one point in my life, I, I really felt like the stuff that I was doing was very significant. Right. Exactly. And, um, and then I came back to utter insignificance right. and it's it's a weird thing to get your head around yeah. uh well next question okay hey we're cruising along okay where does your inspiration come from that presupposes i've got inspiration <laughs> <laughs> well okay so uh, yeah i guess my my, my uh, okay so this this is going to sound cliche but it's not because of who she, what she went through. My inspiration was my mother. She died at 57, brain cancer, in oh. But you got to know what she went through and I, what I watched. So, you know, she was... Uh, How old were you? Uh, I'd be 33 when mm-hmm. she died. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, like, so... Um, so you got, you got to know a little bit about her. So her, she was the oldest of her siblings and her dad was an alcoholic mm. her mother was incredible but she died really early so my mom was sort of the head of the household yeah she had to chase down my grandfather for his pay packet before he went to the bar otherwise it was gone so she was that's the way it was back then but then here's the thing so she dropped out at school of 12 at 12. Mm. she had some i don't know if you're familiar with alopecia oh yeah so she had radical alopecia. Everything dropped out at twelve, right? Everything, wow. eyebrows, yeah. a lot, yeah. right? 
We never knew why that was, but it did. And so at 12, she became like the head of the household, mm -hmm. watching her kids and chasing after her father. And uh, I know I know it really hurt her, but you know, she, she got a wig. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine the wigs back in the 50s were like stellar. And um, she got on with it. Uh, I really admire that about her. And one of the things I really admire about my dad, I, I, he inspires me too, is like, my dad was like a really, a really, back then, really good looking guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's black Irish, kind of Kirk Douglas, big huge shoulders, sure. really good looking guy. And he met my mum at the dancing when she was about 17, 18. And he liked her. And he was a bit of a womanizer, I know this. And he, he liked my mum and all this stuff. And so they got really close, but he never, ever knew about the wig hmm. until, <clears throat> until he proposed. And then she said, look, before we go on, and she just... He couldn't tell with the no eyelashes no, or eyebrows? She, and no, she was working it up. The pencil dropped on the shade. Yeah. She'd, so uh, they were in this, what we call a close, mm -hmm. like a tenant building, there's an opening. And she says, well, before you, you, you need to know something. And right there, she took her wig off right in front of him. And I think about 99% of men would have run the other way. Really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's, but in the 50s, shit yeah. Huh. And, uh, and he said, it's fine. And uh, I admire him for that so much, that he hung in there. It didn't, no, he did his shit later, philandering and all that stuff, but that was great. So, but my mother then sort of, so they moved towards marriage and then she gets what they used to call bad nerves. Have you heard the term nerves? Like today we use terms like depression and other kinds of terms. Sure. Back then it was nerves. So, they had, they had me like 1960 and then my mum went into like major depression that's what it was but they called it bad nerves and then the second and so being what my mum was going through inspired me mm -hmm. the second thing about her was and this was the thing that was this is the thing that I, I uh, it stuck in my mind more than anything else she was um back then they thought the best way to deal with depression or nerves was electric shock treatment oh yeah so they put her through electric shock treatment for weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was like seven at the time, and I'd wake up in the morning, and we go to school, get dropped out of school, my mum went for a shock treatment, and I didn't recognise her when she came home. I mean, they fucking made her into a zombie. It was awful. Wow. It was terrible. She went through, you know, that, that was the hardest. I mean, like, I never wanted the morning to come, because I know she'd be off to do that, and then she'd come home and she'd be absolutely like out of it. Wow. And uh, this was not helping her. This was uh -huh. frying her, right? They did that for weeks and it took her a long time to come out of it. And then she fought again and she fought again. And then, round about when I was about, oh, it was John would be, this is when about 15, so he'd be about, yeah. You won't believe this. Uh, this is getting up. Her life is all about overcoming stuff that, that we nobody goes through, right? Um, she was going down for a routine thing at the dentist, mm -hmm. and they mixed up the charts. So she arrives at the door, and all of her top teeth are gone. Removed all of her top teeth and put in a denture. Just think about that. 
This is the stuff she went through and then she got diagnosed with this and that and then she got diagnosed with cancer. Everything was this and this, but I watched her just overcome everything, everything and always look after her kids. And uh, the other thing I loved about her was like, she was like this, a housewife, right? That's what we called them back then. Only educated to 12 years old, but incredibly inquisitive and intellectual. Mm -hmm. She was like a feminist looking back. So my dad uh, <clears throat> was never at home because he had to work away. He was a crane driver and he'd be building like power stations across Britain. Sure. So we went to see him every weekend or every second weekend. So she was watching us. But this is her attitude, and I, I love this about her. Like, my dad came home and expected the house to be like totally beautiful and spick and span. She's like, fuck you. Her attitude was, I'm reading, we're having a conversation, let's get a pot of tea on, and we're going to just talk about the world and its problems. Fantastic. And it was great. That's the way she was every day. And then when he came home and pissed about it, she was like, I'm not playing out that housewife role. I mean, I, I, there was something in her that she wanted to be fulfilled. And so, um, yeah, and then she was so pissed when I left for America. So pissed. Because it's funny, because her two sons ended up marrying Protestants, which, of course, from where she was from. Then she got over it and stuff. But I guess the reason she inspired me more than anybody else is because she never gave up and she had all these problems. And that got me through, I think, my first decade or two in the US. So that would be it, her. That her. was a beautiful answer. Yeah. That's not cliche. That is awesome. Well, next question. This one's, I like this one too. Do you feel in control of your life? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, okay, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to it than okay. just saying that. And, um, well, with you saying that, what, what holds you down? That's a, okay, that's a great question. So let's start. Okay. <laughs> Why is it important to be in control of your life? I guess that's the thing I'd like to ask. I think that's an absolutely amazing right. question. It's, it's For like, me, right. the way that I would answer that is that um, because of my personality and the way that I think about things, if I don't feel that I'm in control right. in some way, shape, or form, I will do something to compensate. Like, I... If I, if I feel like that I'm out of control in a situation, I will, I will either turn on the person or, you know, uh, potentially, or like make it into like a, a comedy situation, like in my head, I, I can't just let things go and be without, without me feeling that I have to interject in the situation in some way. Mm. Um, that's interesting. So I, I, I thought my whole life un until, well, relatively recently, I thought that's how everybody functioned. I thought that, that everybody felt that they need to be in control all the time in some way, shape or form. You can't, you can't just trust everyone. You can't just let pe people do the things that they want to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a that's lot of things that have happened in my life that have led me to feel right. that way, but that's why I feel that I... I always am striving or like reaching for control in some way, even though I realize that I'm totally out of control and right. I, mm, you know, so um, but I want to be all the time in control. Mm. 
That's interesting. It's I. What what a paradox. <laughs> so, yeah. No. It, control is about intervening in reality to change the course of an event. So I. So when when I think about control and I'm listening to what you're saying, like here here's what I don't want control over. I don't want control over anybody. Mm-hmm. I need some control. And I don't think I did a great job of it. I tried, and, but I think things are working out now, but maybe I didn't do the best job when it came to the control issues around raising my kids. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other factors, but, but they're turning out fine. But I really abhor trying to control anybody else mm. because like, this is why I'm very poor at becoming like, I've tried being department chair and other things. I don't like exercising power on anybody. And control involves at some point, if it's vis-a-vis someone else, mm-hmm. an exercise of, of that. The more interesting thing, I think, where you're coming from is maybe control over who you are. 100%. With me, that's the big problem. I mean, since Vicky left, I've been a total shit fest. The last word you would use, it, I mean, it's stuff outside of me. It's like booze and other things that's controlling me, right? So I'm trying to figure out how to get that back together. I've been thinking a lot about that, but even then, you know, I don't want to be control, right? Maybe the best way to think about control is a continuum, right? You know, maybe at my worst, I'm way over here where I've got no control over myself and I'm lucky to be where I am because many things could have happened because I didn't control certain actions, I could have been in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be. I don't want to be totally in control of myself either. I mean, I want to control my actions, but I love, I love the uh, unpredictability of like. So if it's a continuum, I'm trying. What I've been, I'm trying to find a wee space, like maybe in the middle, mm-hmm. where you've got some control. But if you've got, maybe am I thinking about this right? Like sometimes I think if, if you've got too much control, you don't allow for the unpredictable. Oh, totally. Because the wind, yeah, the if opportunities you, won't arise. If you see someone that has like a very regimented life, right, they don't experience exactly. a lot of things because they're stuck in their rigidity, right. you know. Exactly. So I, I, I would love it. I, right now, you know, historically speaking, I am out of control. I think I'm pulling it back in, and thank God that we started school because in the summer, oh my God, <laughs> I was a puddle, and so I'm getting. I think I'm getting better though. You're a puddle. Yes. And, and puddles don't even think about control. <laughs> so, well, so I'm, getting, I'm getting it back, but I, I really have a vision of where I want to be now. Mm-hmm. It's not a great one, so, but it is that sort of like getting your... Sh- you know the thing about uh, that's making me better is being around people who need me. When I'm around people who need me, I get my shit together really fast hmm. and I put my stuff to the side and I, I control it quite well, but... I would, I am, that's a really Don't good question. Don't you think that everybody around you needs you? No. Why? I just read this story no. to my daughter, and it, and it's like, it, it's a real sweet, like, kid's book, and it says, um, <clears throat> you know, this world would not be the same if you weren't here. Oh, I and get that. That's not the same as need. Well, your, your kid needs you. My friends and stuff... They, they would miss do me, need but you. They don't need me. No, they, they I think they get... do. They can't be the person that they are without you in oh, their life. I'm not so sure. Within a, look, this is, but it's not like okay. I'm being cynical here. Look, 
if I dropped it off the earth mm -hmm. in 10 days, you'd have stories, but you'd all get on with your life just fine. I mean, that's just the way life is. We'd go on our life, on with our life just fine, but our life would be significantly different because you weren't there. Oh, I think that's... No, it's totally 100% true. Yeah, yeah. Every single person is making an impact in some way or another. I... Especially, especially like such a social person that you are, okay. you, you have a, a large impact on people. And you are, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe, I don't know, need, that's, that's a touchy word right, in and of itself, yeah. but you are needed. For them to be the people that they well, are, you I, are a significant part of their life. Well, look, look at, look, it's exactly, look, it's what, why, I mean, it's so funny to watch, like, the regulars mm -hmm. at Manitou. There's this wonderful symbiotic relationship that feeds off between the people behind the bar and the regulars on the other side. I mean, we're all up there because of community because yeah. of a, I mean a community at the end of the day is something really human maybe the most human thing is belonging right 100% and I, so I get I, I do I, but I, I, feel, swear, I feel that like our western society doesn't hold on to that no not and, at all and um, and that's why I, that's why I say need as well like I I truly believe that the people that you're around need you because of community right. like you we're all we're all an organism, right. and if a piece of it is chunked off, th that part is missing, and it's no longer the same. And that's, and that's that's, I, that's important. A, I think that's a great. Way. I don't think that's the <clears throat> dominant way the West looks at things. Though not at all. We look at people as individual atoms and not as organism. Organisms is you, you're connected. So the, the you know the blood supply feeds the kidney. Are they just connected together? Yeah. Right. That's not how capitalist society works it's all like you're an individual atom who realizes your 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 interest in the marketplace and you go up to manitou because you want to maximize your interest to have a beer a sip and then you're off that's not how it works that's not why the regulars go up there because there's something there's a solidarity that you don't get anywhere else in life yeah it's a wonderful thing. i mean you're exactly right that's not how it works that's not how humanity works we no. don't we don't work that way we're social creatures that we have to be interacting Absolutely. with other people yeah, and i mean yeah i i think i think community is is so overlooked in in the oh my God, in the west it's it's hard to handle that's why i'm up there all the time yeah i mean i, I can't you know like uh, so okay so we're being really honest here right so um, Vicky uh, came up to Manitou a couple of times mm -hmm. and you know I would tip and she's going like what the fuck are you doing and she's looking at it from a very different perspective she's thinking I'm in a transactional relationship mm -hmm. and that's not what I'm in I'm in a community building relationship and I know exactly what I'm doing this is more important than me than paying my dues to Comcast or any other god and I tried to explain this to her, but she saw it as this transactional thing, which is like a supply-demand thing. It's like, you're missing the whole point of what the hell's going on here. That's a big thing for me. People don't get that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that, that really pisses me off if you can't figure that shit out. Yeah. That you're actually, you're paying your dues to the community. Yeah. You're paying for the survival of something. You're paying to make sure people are going to be here. It's not me buying a beer. Do you get that? Uh, I get that. Hundred percent, I get that. I know that used to. Put, that was one of the big things that came out. We, we uh, our, our way of wanting to live our lives diverged. I went towards community. She went toward career. 
an old pair tour. It's great, but that's not what I was going anymore. So yeah. God, I didn't That's expect a weird I, twerk and I, I, weird I turn there, huh? I didn't mean wasn't that, that must have been coming from somewhere. <laughs> well, that, that no, is, I mean, true. that's good. It's true. It's exactly yeah. how I look at things that way. Right? But that's uh, that's exactly yeah. why I think that this is significant. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I don't know if you've ever heard the Chinese parable, parable, what uh, proverb that says, um, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Yes. Have you ever heard that? that? Yeah, it's it, like it's that. it's really profound to me. Yeah, and I like I like thinking about that. So let me so so I don't know if you put this down yet uh, in your previous ones. Tell me a little bit about why this is such a passion project for you. Because um, it is it's a passion project. It is a passion project. So why? Um, well, I how do how would I put this? Uh, I I in the last couple of years, few years, I feel that I'm going through a, a transition mm -hmm. and I am, I'm realizing that I was very disconnected overall right. prior to that because I was so inside my own head and I was uh, consumed with what I thought and what I was doing instead of with other people. Even in the midst of being like in Thailand doing philanthropy right. work, I, I it was I always felt that I have some kind of ulterior motive to make myself look better because oh. I have such a terrible self esteem or whatever. That, and I know. That blows my mind. Right <laughs> well well I I mean we're being honest, right? right. Um <clears throat> and so so with this, when I I mean, having I think that the Manitou Tap House is a very, it's a very different place than other, any other place mm -hmm. that I've worked at by far. Um, and, um, and this is like my intro to, to, uh, all of the podcasts. I, I really oh, do. Okay. Yeah. I do yeah. believe that the people that go there and interact with, you know, other regulars that interact, right. um, they're a different kind of people, mm -hmm. and uh, and I found value in that um, because I, f I I I truly believe that I need to be connected with mm -hmm. other people more so, mm -hmm. and and the information that I get from all of you, I think is really valuable, and other people are in the so, the unique position that I am to yeah. to get this kind of information, and I think it's I think it's I really hope that everybody hears it and and, and they grow and change. That's great. So I mean, like you, like you're saying, I want to, I want to change the world, and I want, and I know that all of the information that I get from all of you can change the world. If people mm -hmm. hear this stuff, the it's a sort of enlightenment, yeah. and that's why. I mean, that's great. That's, what, that's, that's, that's like the Reader's Digest version of why. No, yeah. it's great, but that's, yeah, I love the passion behind it. That's great. Well, thank you, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. All right, this one, okay. this one is, uh, this one is potentially incriminating. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I don't know, maybe not. We'll just see what you, what you think. Um, what have you done that is truly wrong, A oh. and? Can something in fact be truly wrong? 
Jesus. I mean, it's sort of a, <laughs> it's a moral question and like just your own conscience question. Um, so <clears throat> what's truly wrong, it'd have to be by my standards and I'm not so sure. You know, you know how like there's, there's like characters in history? Yeah. They do stuff that we can all agree there's something truly wrong. Sure. Right? Um, I'm not that interesting. No. Come on. I no no, I do wrong things all the time. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't do truly wrong things all the time. So who gets to define what's wrong? So it well, you are in this situation. No, okay, so. okay. So <clears throat> what I've done truly wrong, um I the truly wrong things that I feel that I've done, they all go back to my childhood when yeah. I was really like learning what right and wrong was. And at the time when I did it, I didn't think uh, that it was truly wrong. But now uh, that I think about it, I, I shiver. I'm just, I, 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 I mean, I could cry about some of the things that really? I did because it, I truly believe it was just like pure evil was in me. How really? could I possibly have been thinking anything except for malice and truly wrong? Right. Why, would, why did I do those things? Jeez. And I've done, I've done more than one. What, what would be an example of that? <laughs> well, I don't want to say the same one that I've said on the other ones. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and I don't want to say, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I can... can Just, well, what, you don't want to say the same stuff. So, uh, well, I, I, have, I have intentionally hurt people just for the sake of it. Right. And I think that in and of itself is, is pure evil. I don't think that causing pain yeah. to someone for no reason you... could possibly be anything but wrong. Mm. Um, so a lot of people, and I, I've told people this story many times, um, and they freak out about it all the time. And I don't, this is not actually something that I think is truly wrong, but I think a lot of people think when I tell them, it is, and they really change. Right. So you might change okay. what, I'm about, what I'm about to tell you. Um, my friend had a cat, and we hated this stupid cat, and we put it in the microwave and turned the fucking microwave no. on for That's like fucking evil. <laughs> we turned it on for ten seconds oh, just to see what sake. the hell would happen to the cat. And it, okay. I mean, it freaked okay. out, and you could tell that stuff was hitting it, and it was like looking around and stuff, mm. and but to me. I, I mean, I don't like cats and That's fucked I, up I haven't, I haven't ever, I haven't ever like intentionally killed a cat or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I put cats through a, some bad situations. In your case. Sure. And, and I, we were just like, let's see what happens. We put 10, we're like the 10 seconds isn't going to kill anything. You, you know, nothing would die in 10 seconds. And and it was just wild to watch yeah. this thing. And immediately when we opened the door, it was supercharged. This cat oh. <clears throat> quite literally jumped Shit. from the microwave, didn't even touch the floor of the entire kitchen, and just flew out of the kitchen. Oh and my just, god! Okay. And then disappeared and like hid in 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 like Shit. the ventilation yeah. for like a long time. Well, you know, on the bright side, didn't blow up. Right. right. Yeah. Like, holy smokes. Ten seconds isn't gonna do anything. Shit. I, and, and, well, I admire how disciplined you were. People hate that I have done that. But I, I don't like cats. I would never do it to a dog. Right. <laughs> I mean, because I, I appreciate dogs. <laughs> but, I mean, so, and, and I don't think that that's truly wrong. But right. if someone that loves cats, they would 
They want to bludgeon me. Okay, so um, okay, so now I know, I know where we're coming <laughs> you from. You know, I mean, so, so, that's something. I think when I was truly wrong, remember I told you how my mum was like inspirational? Yeah. When I fucked up at uh, uni over there and I started like, mm-hmm. everyone was going great and started partying and things went south. It was so easy to try and find a, a, a scapegoat and I went after her. Ah. The very person who was my biggest supporter. Ah. And uh, I did it and I did it bad for about two or three weeks. And I said I was going to go to London and stuff and I put her through hell. Just, there was something about making her feel bad that somehow let me get some breathing space from the mistake I made. Yeah. I really hate that. The other thing that I, I've been good at over the years is like, you know when you think, you know when you think you're doing, like you portray that you're doing something good for everybody else, mm-hmm. but at any day it's just about yourself. Like I'm selfishness. 100%. I, make us, I do that all the time. But, but, it's, here's another thing though, uh, so wrong and mistake. Mm-hmm. You know the, I, the thing I can't stand, I've been told this since I was like five and still out there today with r- raising kids. You know this bullshit about never making the same, the same mistake twice? Just just put some thought into that. That's the dumbest ass thing of all time. You know? I've been making the same mistake for 40 years and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, there's certain mistakes I'm not going to do again, but sure. don't be so absolute on this shit. Oh, I get it. Every Friday makes the same mistake and it's yeah. and, and I need it and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Hey, who, who comes up? Who's the person that came up with that great one? No. Like, and then they're anointed in history and it's like universal truth. It's like, okay, so we'll put it down here. This thing that you said to me, and then Joe was the same, like, if you're ever going to date a woman, she's got to be half your age plus seven. Oh, Joe said it too? Yes. See, it's the it's, universal it's like, it's rule. Like, it's, like, it's, it's like, you guys are giving me like, like, like some fucking natural law. You know, <laughs> I thought like, it. I... It's like Newton, Newton said this. <laughs> so Peter just, this kind of stuff bugs the hell out of me. Who the hell comes up with this shit? I don't know. <laughs> But I still, I still stand behind what I said. But not in, and I don't care about the stuff at half your age plus no, seven no, but years. It's, it's, you but get the bigger thing I'm saying, right? Yeah, I, I do. I, and I don't know. Somebody, I don't know where that came from. But, <laughs> but, but the really the reason that I said that was because of the relatability and the life experience. That's that's the where it just doesn't. You're right. You're right. But still, it seems so. I did not tell you that that was wrong. I was just like, it's not gonna last, and and it's, it's it might be yeah, weird. Okay. Yeah, you know, I just love where these things drop from heaven. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I get the point. But yeah, oh, I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just okay, okay. Where are we at here? This is get. What's what's up next? Oh, right, um, so. Well, I like your scapegoat thing, and I've heard I've heard some some bad situations about that too. So this next one, and I don't even know how to. I, I might have to revise this somehow, and I don't know how to bring this up. Um, but the question is, what is your opinion about the natural hierarchical order in reference to humanity? And it's just like a. I mean, I I I want this information throughout all of my podcast, right. um, but I don't know how to. I don't know so, how to so, okay. say this out loud without people just going, what no, no, are you no, no, talking it's, it's about? Like, so, yeah, because I remember that one. Just, just walk me through what, what we're trying to get here. What I'm trying to get at? Well, essentially, 
without saying it, I feel like that we are in this really odd time of extremism. Right. You know? Okay. And, um, and so my question about natural hierarchical order having to do with humanity, um, I mean, it, on the very basic level, it's like in about feminism or about the patriarchy. Um, oh. And so is, is there a natural hierarchical order with, with humans? Um, are, or is it that we just need to accept that um, male and female people are different? Or um, that certain, like, leadership is a natural process. If you throw, like, in in any, uh, like, the animal kingdom or whatever, if there is a natural hierarchical order that just comes out, right? Right. And so I, I want to know if you feel that there is, with humanity, that that okay. is... Okay, I got it a thing or if it's all of these influences are going to cause people so like um cultural relativism if that's okay like that's, all, any of that okay, okay that's, that's a really deep question it's a really deep question and i don't and it's no, so no, bizarre because it's no, way no, different it's, than it's, the other so my guess, i think the, it's the, the, the thing natural is really interesting so yes i believe there's a natural hierarchy in the what we call the animal world mm -hmm. which is obviously connected to us yeah, it's very clearly documented, etc. In the social world, us, uh, no, I don't buy it. Uh, okay, you can look back. There's plenty of historical evidence that you've got uh, civilizations where women were dominant mm -hmm. and men weren't. Okay, which suggests to me that it depends on culture. I mean, look, we've got to be careful about this stuff. Like we live in a patriarchal society, mm -hmm. yes, and to say it's natural, think about what that means. No, I don't know. I don't know if it's natural. I'm yeah, just well, saying that it's a thing. It's such a... I think it's culturally produced. I mean, like, my sense is, like, masculine dominance is very much reproduced by this stuff about the, the top of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. They get paid more. They get this. They get this. It's bullshit. Same with race. 100%. So I... I, I so I, I, I think... Um, but... So the term you use, well, I want to get to in a minute, cultural relativism, because that's a very interesting idea. And it's scary sometimes to me. But um, right, I think, I think hierarchy is fundamentally about power and who gets to define what the hierarchy is. Mm -hmm. And for many, many centuries, men got to define the hierarchy. I'm watching Handmaid's Tale right now. Yeah. Here's a culturally produced... Oh, it's so scary. I mean, like, you know... They overturn this egalitarian society to make sure that men produce this hierarchy based on the Bible that is a natural hierarchy. Sure. Right, so that kind of thing. Now, so I, yeah, I'm, I think a lot of this is very much culturally pro uh, produced through power to reinforce the power of some over another. There's a great line in Handmaid's Tale that says, uh, to make society better is never ever about making society better. It's about making one group better than another. And I think it's the history of, of human beings. Hmm. Nobody ever gets nobody ever gets better. It's always a group that gets better than another. So the cultural relativism is really important, right? But but here's my worry about cultural relativism. So we all need to understand we come from different places and our cultures shape us in different ways. 
But then we get to this really interesting point, which is like, so... Oh, yeah, so there was foot binding in old Japan. China. Oh, I thought it was Japan. They didn't have foot binding. I thought they had it in Japan as well. Yeah, maybe they okay. did. But... but the point was, well, you know what? That's their culture. Yeah. That's their truth. Mm-hmm. We've got female circumcision over here. No, That's their yeah. culture. That's okay. their truth. I think it's really important that you see like cultural determination, but to say that all cultures and everything is equal takes away from the notion that there's some universal truths. You, you, you don't fuck over people. That's one of my universal... You don't circumcise women. And I know there'll be women from that culture that will argue against me, but there's others who are fleeing from it. Mm-hmm. There's certain truth. This is a big thing. I mean, like at the end of the day, do you think every group has its own truth and all the truths are equal? I don't believe... Satanists have their truth. Yeah. I, I think it's really, really great to be open-minded about different things, but we've got to take a stand sometimes about what's right and wrong as well. Like the, There has to be something... But where do you draw the line? I mean, that, and that's what I'm talking about with like this extremist world that we live in right now. Like... Huh. Like, um... Okay, so let me ask you this. <clears throat> here's, here's maybe a small example of that. Um... China has a territory called Hong Kong Mm -hmm. that are now striving for human rights. One response to that is saying, well, that's China's. They'll define what democracy is and what things are. But um, no, I think we need to stand behind those people who are doing it. So I'm doing that somewhere on a universal principle that somehow I'm willing to break through the relativism to say there's a universal, that everybody should have free speech, everybody should be able to, like, demonstrate, everybody should be able to democratic rights. I mean, I feel that. I mean, am I supposed to sh- am I supposed to shut my mouth and let these people... Okay, so the tank, the tank tro- the tank troll into Hong Kong tomorrow, that's just cultural relativism. That's them dealing with their cultural issues. I think that's not how human beings should be. How can you deal with universal issues like environmentalism, uh, global crisis, and we've all got a different cultural me- like Trump has? I know. You bulldoze that shit out of the way. There's some universal things in life and you can still be incredibly sensitive to different cultural things. So, But the hierarchy thing, go back to what you're saying, it's like, I think hierarchies are defined by people who want to hold power over others. So. Yeah, it makes me think of the Lord of the Flies. Yes. And yes. <clears throat> well, you know, the great thing about Lord of the Flies is it almost seems like they're going to like, implode the hierarchy and then they create their own hierarchy again. This is what humans do. I think that's the saddest thing about us. Like, through all the ages, we always want to have control over somebody else. Right? I mean, that's, that's the history of what we do. Mm-hmm. Fucking each other over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I... Do you remember Mark, so Mark? I don't. I, I don't know if I agree with everything that you said. Mm-hmm. That's I do uh, because when you were saying uh, specifically the Hong Kong situation, that made me immediately think of. Well, what about us um, imposing democracy on Iraq? Absolutely. And it doesn't seem to be no much better off. I don't know if it's worse. It's not like Saddam Hussein is still there killing people randomly, but. It's not working either. That's a, that's, so. a, that's a great point. It's a great point. But it's a really good point. I mean, you can go way back to, uh, you know, after World War II when we went into so many different parts of the world mm-hmm. trying to say you should look like us. Yeah. Like, but I think there's a difference here. Like, you can't 
use the argument of universal rights to go in and impose power, mm -hmm. which is what we've been doing. And at the end of the day, look, we're in the Middle East not because we care about human rights, we're interested in oil. I'm talking about like pure regard for human rights as a principle in and of itself. It might not lead to intervention. Yeah. But I think you're right. I mean, so much of intervention the the US in particular have been about has been so not about the rights. Mm -hmm. It's all about being in I mean this is and China is like a reflection of us too, and they're just like right. just obvious with it. You you read, you read about like international relations and all that stuff. The U.S. has been engaged in since World War Two. Mm -hmm. What you learn at school is the following: the U.S. goes into an area because it serves their interests. That's it. They might gloss up in terms of rights and blah blah blah. So I'm talking about a sense of like you know. Like, so how do you so how do you deal with female circumcision? I'm not saying you send in the troops. What I'm saying is how do you get the women who want out out? That's what I'm getting at, like in terms yeah. of. But I totally agree with you. That language of uh, the universal is often being used as a way of let's just go in and do this. Human rights, human rights, but it's about oil. Human rights. Isn't it so interesting that that conversation that Trump had apparently with the Chinese PM over the summer said, "I'll keep quiet about anything Hong Kong. We can get this trade deal through." To me, that's. It sounds awful, but that's the way the world has always been. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Man, see now I need a better question to close this out because what's no, that was no. heavy. Yeah, what's, so what's, what's up next? Well, the last question. A bit, um, a bit, uh, I'll be great. We'll explore it. What is your theme song? My theme song. I actually love that because again, it's like it's like it brings it back full circle, right? Who yeah. are you? Yeah. My theme song has changed through life, but. If I got really honest about it, uh, oh my God, this is going to sound so weak. Um, so when I was a, when I was younger, uh, do you remember In Excess? Of course. Do you remember that song Devil Inside? Of course. That's that was with me for like, you know, it's like every single one of us. Yes, it's Devil Inside, inside. <laughs> because it's exactly what I'm about. There's, I don't understand that part of me. That's the devil, right? The, the the beast in right. me. And that's completely connected to the other one, which I love, which is a Deepesh Mode song, which is obviously a theme here, is Never Let Me Down. You have that one? I don't know if I know it. Can oh, you sing man. a couple of lines? Yeah. I'm not going to sing it in this. No, oh, come on. No, no, what is this? So it's, uh, it's the one about I'm doing this thing with my best friend, and you find out the best friend. I thought it, it, originally it was like he was having a same-sex relationship mm -hmm. and then it wasn't as he's doing heroin hmm. and he's, he's, he keeps saying like, never let me down never let me down and it gets to that same thing about like you there's something inside of you that you can't control but you're trying to control and that's pretty much been my life is that fundamental dialectic that thing is how do you hold those two things up I mean like yeah, you know, if I was, but I think, I don't know if most human beings are like that, but I think if I was less hung up in my internal contradictions, I'd have done a lot more in life. I'm always trying to resolve this bullshit. There's something I'm always trying to deal with that wants to go off and do stupid shit. Uh, or, or do something, I don't know, that's the two songs that come across to me. I, was, I still listen to them today. 
Yeah. Have you got what was yours? What's yours? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't figured it out is yet. Is it? Is it changed? Have you, have you got one that's hung in there for a while? I don't think so. I I have so many songs that I identify with little parts of it. I can't I can't like get a single yeah. song that really defines me. Do you have an upbeat song? I can't find any upbeat. No, song. I have no upbeat shit. In my me life. neither. Yeah. Um, and oh, that and I think yeah. that kind of might say a lot about what kind of a person I am. That <laughs> like I love minor keys and right. I love like the gloom. Well, I mean, like I, like we talk about you. Yes, you love I, the dark stuff. I do. I do. I can't. Yeah. I, that's what I like to listen to. I mean, like. Deepish mode is about all, you know, the angst, the self-doubt, the the honesty about like wanting to have an affair, all that shit. I mm-hmm. love that. Because it's true. Mm-hmm. It's what reflects me. I listen to Mass Attack and Radiohead and the National because they're talking about the way my brain works. Have you listened to Idols yet? Yes. I did. The Idols are great. I did. They are it's, really, really good. And it, they yeah. say some pretty profound stuff I too. Did. I, and I guess kind of what you know. I just and when I'm well, you know when I'm writing, it's all like mm-hmm. so south. So I think it's south. about exposing what we claim the norm to be, and I and huh, the, the I norm like the norm is all fallacy, and you know. Um, I've got a really good example of that. Okay. Just say that. Okay, I'll sit on this. Yeah, say it. Well, because it could be. A, no, no. This is a great point. So I met uh, this woman uh, at a bar um, about a week ago, mm-hmm. and she turns out to be one of my neighbours, mm-hmm. and we have had a very distant relationship. Uh, we haven't talked. Didn't like how our kids got on together. Didn't do stuff right, but it's totally the white picket fence. Yeah, you told me. That's it. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like, the norm is not the norm. Everybody's going through this nonsense, right? I mean, she's gone off doing stuff, and he's probably doing the same thing, but it all looks just perfect, right? That it, this, the, yeah, what's the norm? Where did that come from? Yeah, what's the norm? I think that's a great place to end this. Okay. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thank you. That was, that was really good.